week on the Weekly Kingdom Outlook, we're going to talk about the purpose of prophecy in the Old Testament and in the New, and what was the motivation for giving it, contrary to what today's popular belief is. Let's go. Hey, greetings, folks. Glad to be with you this week and really excited to talk about this topic. Um, I I have done a lot of studying when it comes to um, Revelation, um, which I'm getting ready to redo a whole series on, which I've done in depth, pulling out all the um, Old Testament uh, symbologies, references, There's about 300 symbols given from the Old Testament. Even 666 is in the Old Testament. How many people know that? What is referring to? And so uh, we're going to have a fun time when I do that. But let's talk about uh, prophecy in the Old Testament. Unbelief to some people uh, or their misgiving is prophecy was never given just to tell of future events. It was not the reason. Um, the reason was always, especially in the Old Covenant, because the prophets, their number one concern was always to bring Israel back to godly conduct, to bring them back from the brink of their ungodliness, their unholiness, their worship of idols. It was always in reference to that. And God did tell them what was going to happen because they were always up against the prophets of Baal and false ideology. And remember, God makes a statement. I tell the ending before the beginning so that you'll know that I'm God. But that's not the purpose of prophecy. The prophecy is not predicting or foretelling, just foretelling future events. That, that is part of what happens in prophecy, but it's not the motivation of prophecy. And I think that this is where the misconception lies. It's, it's, it's like when we sit there and say, um, like, God loves you. That was the motivation for him sending Jesus, but it's not what saves you. What actually saves you is faith in the grace afforded to you by the finished work of the cross in Jesus Christ. That's what saves you, not love. Love was the motivating factor. God so loved the world. God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus. So we have to understand what's the motivation of prophecy. Was it just to tell of future events? No. What it was actually to do is to call us back to godly living. This is what your personal prophecy is also supposed to do. It's supposed to anchor you and also awaken you to the godly conduct needed to bring about the results that God has wants you to have. It's not just to predict to you, because by the way, unbeknownst to many people, that prophecy, personal prophecy is not 100% guaranteed. You have to cooperate and be obedient to it. If you're not obedient to it, it just doesn't work. And, and that's why many Christians get frustrated with prophecy, because they think prophecy is what God is going to do definitely, without a doubt, no matter what I do, this is going to be done. And that's not prophecy at all. Matter of fact, most prophecy says, if you keep my covenant, if you obey my voice, if you keep my commands, right? So there's a requirement on our part in fulfilling prophecy. But what we'll understand in the Old Testament was, even, by the way, even in the New Testament, the purpose of prophecy was correction, rebuke, and foretelling of, here's the two choices you have. So they would tell them, and God would tell them, hey, 
you're not living right. Here's what get back to me. Return to me. If you don't return to me, here's the destruction I'm bringing upon Jerusalem. Here's the destruction. Now you can see this in Scripture itself. And if we look at Scripture itself, we can find that that God does um, have this way of um, of doing this with us. And I think it's often lost on the church today that um, God does it this way. I, I, it's the, the, I, one of my frustrations is, and I tell this to people all the time, is one of my frustrations is, is that we often, um, we often get an idea of prophecy that doesn't come from Scripture. And so what we end up doing is um, we end up coming up with our own um, thought process when it comes to prophecy, our own understanding when it comes to prophecy. And that's not really good to do. Um, um, so there, there is some scripture I want us to look at. And um, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 18, if you would, with me. And if you have your Bibles, if you don't, I'm going to read it to you. And if you're driving in your car, listening to the podcast, that's okay. I'm going to read it to you. So don't worry about that. But let's look at Jeremiah 18 and let's see if we can uncover something in God's word that should tell us what his purpose might be in prophecy. Okay. Um, let's just go to just keep it in context. I think that's going to be really important for here. Listen, verse one, Jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, and it seemed good to the potter to make. In other words, he took the clay. This isn't looking good. He smashed it down and began to reshape it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to pluck it up and pull it down and to destroy it. Okay, now you might think that this was God's will. Okay. This is um, something God might have to do, but it's not necessarily something God wants to do. Okay. Um, and it's really, it's, it's funny that when we read scripture, we don't think of it that way. We don't look at it like, Hey, is this God's really God's will? Is it God's will to destroy a nation? No, it wasn't his perfect will. His perfect will is that all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues would repent. That's his will. And that they'd all be saved. That's his will. Will they all get saved? No, probably not. But it's not because of his will, but because of their rebellion. And that's important to grab a hold of. All right. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull it down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster they have thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to build it up, to plant it, 
if it does evil in my sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning a good which with, with which I said I would benefit. So you see that God says, look, what is what is what is tantamount about both these prophecies? The the destruction. If you continue in your ways, then that's what's going to happen. But if you relent, if you repent, I'll relent. If you repent, I'll relent. But now if I pronounce blessing over you, and then you say, I'm going to be blessed no matter what, I'm going to go do evil, then God can relent from that as well. You know, I have children, and I've learned a lot about who the father is um, from being a father. It's stunning, right? And I know this, I might want everything for my children, but I can't give them everything, especially when they're young. There's times you have to tell your child no. There's times you have to tell your child, like, if you act that way, what I told you we were going to do, we're not going to do because of your, the way you're acting. I didn't really have trouble, kids. So I say that like I'm a real, you know, you know, tough dad, but our, you know, Kathy kept on the kids. You know, when I was, you know, I was working, I was traveling, whatever I was doing, air traffic control, I worked 50 hours a week. You know, Kathy was so good at, you know, keeping on. If they said something bad to their siblings, they had to say something good 10 times, you know. And, you know, Kathy goes, now think of something good about your sister, your brother, now say it. And, you know, what else is good? She'd like tell them, like, it's more important that you say good things than bad. We were raised that way. We were raised, we raised our kids not to be critical of each other, but to bless each other. Doesn't mean, you know, what's great is I'm not saying my kids never fought. When I fought with my sisters and my brothers, doors got kicked in. I was the baby, but doors got kicked in. There was fights. There was ugly in our house. My kids have never participated in that ugly. Never participated in that ugly. And they do love each other. They don't always agree. That's fine. I never told them they had to agree. I told them you had to love each other. And, and so the scriptures here point out that the purpose of prophecy is for repentance and godliness. When we leave out that, well, it's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Yes. Yes. If you do good, it is not to bring comfort for those who are bent on evil. But if you prophesy good when they're bent on evil, it will only come about if they repent. Right? If they don't repent, what's the purpose? Is the purpose, like if God says to a couple who is, um, you know, they're not living right. And they meet, a, you know, the Christian comes up and he goes, man, I got a word from the Lord from you and you prophesy over him. And, but in that word's going to be, if you obey my voice, if you, you know, hearken to me, I'm going to lead you into the, 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 if they repent and do that, that word's going to come to pass. What was the, what was God's purpose in bringing that exhortation or that exhort, you know, that that comfort to them, what was it? That edification to them, it was to promote godliness in them. It was to anchor them in godliness that they would go the right way. When when, when Paul explains what prophecy, the person, you know, what contains prophecy, exhortation, edification, comfort, he's not really unfolding the God's heart behind it. God's heart is always godliness in us. God's heart is always to draw us to the right way, to the right conduct. That's his way. When God corrects us, when God brought judgment, it was for that purpose. It wasn't to, like, God brought a lot of destruction. We're sitting here now 
four or five days after the war started in Israel. And everyone's going, is this end-time prophecy? Now, I don't believe it's end-time prophecy, but it is prophecy. You know, the, you have to understand something. Most of Israel still rejects Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but we would not speak over any other nation that openly rejects Christ and go, oh, they're going to be blessed. I don't know any other people that would do that. Now, does that mean they deserve to be attacked by Hamas and everything? Look, there's some things you have to understand, you know, how God uses other nations. He used it, Moab. It says, actually says in scripture, Moab was my washing pot. In other words, it was to bring Israel back to him. When they got off line, Moab would rise up. Listen, this is what happened. Moab would rise up. The nation would repent and they would drive Moab back out. I believe Israel is about to get more land. I believe that there should be a seeking of God. Hopefully finding Jesus could look it. I'm just going to try to tell people this over and over again. Jeremiah prophesied there is no Old Testament anymore. When the New Testament came, God was doing away with the Old Testament. You can't have both. Why? Because that means one people get to reject Jesus and still get all the benefits of the kingdom. When to the Jews, Peter said, there is no name under heaven, by which men can be saved. Not Messiah wasn't the name. It was Yeshua. It wasn't Messiah. It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It was the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who died, buried, and was resurrected. If you don't believe, Paul says, if you don't believe in that, these were Jews saying it to Jews. This is the thing people don't understand. They were saying this to the Jewish people. They weren't saying it to Gentiles until later. But they were saying it to the Jewish people. It was a shock. It was a little bit of shock to Peter when when the Jews when the Gentiles got saved. But it wasn't a shock to Paul. Let's look at Paul's conversion. This is what. Let's just go. Uh, we don't have to read the whole thing of Acts nine, but let's let's read. Um, verse fourteen. <clears throat> It, it, well, first it says, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now think about this. Ananias is the first person that we know of in the New Testament that hears from the Lord that the message is going to the Gentiles. Think about this. Ananias, Ananias, you gotta say Ananias, is the first one that gets to word. Now, that is that probably doesn't mean that Paul didn't already have it. He might have, but the first one we have witness of here. He is my chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. I want you to think about that. What was his purpose of bringing them? The message was always going to go to the Gentiles. I want you to understand that. It was supposed to go through the nation of Israel, but the nation of Israel 
did not repent, even though a million Jews did. Okay, a million Jews came to Christ. That's what made up the first century church. It went around the world. They heard the message of, of Christ. Remember when Paul goes to one city, there's another man there skilled in the law. And he helps Paul explain the things. Look, what I'm trying to say to you is like, the purpose of prophecy is repentance, good or bad. Like most likely, we we only give good words, and and you know normally, and and let's look at. It doesn't mean we don't get destructive words, um, but that's really for the prophets. It's not for the average person. Please, the average person should not be giving any words of destruction or anything like that. Shouldn't be. You might have a dream. The problem is, is that in dark sayings, sometimes they get those wrong. But do I believe that God gives us warnings of? difficult things. One of the things that I feel, which I never heard about the prophecy until it came about, that in 20, uh, 2011, the the uh, tsunami that hit Japan, and it was prophesied apparently 22 years prior by Bob Jones. My problem with the church, listen to me, my problem with the church is we had no apostolic vision to ward off it. You go, what do you mean ward it off? Well, if we had really, I didn't know about the prophecy. I, you know, Bob Jones, number one, we didn't have the internet when he gave it. So that's one reason to understand that that, that prophecy was given in something like 1989, which was the year I got saved. So I probably didn't, and then it was the end of 89 I got saved. So I probably didn't hear the message, right? And now we can kind of get that word out. But because we are, we are so fragmented in the body, imagine... If we had an apostolic, prophetic, uh, true prophetic council of believers that um, that weren't, listen, that weren't in competition. Because the competition is killing us. Competition is not good in the body. It's not even actually good in business, really. You spend a lot of money trying to, you know, defeat your enemy instead of RDing stuff. All right. But that's a whole different story. Everyone tells you competition is good. It is until, you know, until someone gets a, it, it, it's not wrong to have a monopoly. What's wrong is to misuse the monopoly. When you use unfair advantages of the monopoly, where you start intimidating something, that's when they break you up. In other words, if you don't practice unfair practice, if you keep the same practices you had, when you were trying to develop your company, which was build a great product, give good customer service, did all that, you become the biggest. That's not a problem. It's the problem when you falsify stuff like Microsoft making sure Explorer's on the computer and you couldn't remove it, uh, and it, it was defaulted on there. Um, Apple does the same thing and has Safari on your browser, but it's not. You don't have to default to use that. You can instantly download any other third-party browser and make it your default. They learn from that. That's the difference. That's what Microsoft did. And then Google does the same stuff. And Apple probably does the same stuff too. I don't think it's a monopoly to sit there and say, you have to use, we want you to come through our app store because I like knowing the apps are going to work and not have malware on it because that's one of the problems on the Android side is all the malware. And if you want malware, then get the other apps. Get, the, get, a, get, a, get off the iPhone. All right, because that's the number one problem we face on those. All right, I'm I'm too much in I'm entrenched in the Apple ecosystem. All right, so when we have competition within the body, 
we're not going to hear clearly. We're not going to hear accurately. But let me show you what it looked like in the church. And in the days, prophets, this is chapter 11, verse uh, 27 of Acts. Sorry about that. I should have gave you that. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named uh, Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Jerusalem and Judea. This they did. Uh, this they also did, and sent to the elders by the hands of uh, Barnabas and Saul. You know what? You know my point here being. Listen to me. You know my point here being is how is how they humbled themselves, heard, heard a word, and brought relief. What if? We didn't sit there and just judge the prophets and actually listen to the word with the spirit and then came up with the apostolic plan of how we can ward off that word. Instead of going, that word's not true, that word's not true, that I deny that word, I break that word, I bind that word. What if the purpose of that prophecy in 1989 about Japan was so the church would get active and begin to evangelize? The apostles and prophets got together, look, we believe Bob Jones's word. We hear we hear the Spirit saying this. He's demonstrated this. Let's come up with an apostolic way of evangelizing Japan. Japan is a heathen, demonic, you know, idol worship nation. I don't know how else to say it nicely. Great people, just they worship false gods. How else to say? It? Okay, doesn't mean they're. I don't mean they're. They're not kind people and. And all that. I've never had any bad experiences or anything like that. I hear going to Japan is wonderful. Um, never been there. Never got to go on the West Coast uh, in the Navy. I always went on the East Coast. And, But my point being is, what if we instead of sat there and said, you know, no, I don't feel that. Or, uh, you know, I don't like that prophet. And what if we actually as could come together and go, hey, guys, let's pray. Let's come back tomorrow. We're going to go pray tonight. Come back tomorrow and let's see what we feel that, you know, if this is true. I don't think this happened in like, I don't believe this this process took an hour. Okay. I, I don't believe, I don't believe they, they made this decision quickly. I believe they actually prayed about it. They probably went back, took that word. They probably gathered together and pray. They probably talked about it. They probably processed it. And they said, you know what, we've, we've believed this is a really major word of what's coming. And we want to protect the brethren at Judea because they're going to be caught up in this. And how can we help them? And by the way, Paul's doing this in Corinth. Paul's doing this. What Paul's doing in Corinth, Second Corinthians chapter, um, you know, he's 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 doing and talking about giving and love and all that stuff. Chapter eight, he's talking about giving to them and their lack. Um, it, it's really it's really a troubling sign to me. The church today they want the we want the book we want the power of Acts, but we don't want the accountability of Acts, and we're not going to get the power of Acts without the accountability that they were held to in Acts. You can't have the authority without accountability. You can't have the power without the holiness. I, I believe God loves Israel. I do. I believe, I believe that. I believe God loves Saudi Arabia too. The difference is, is that 
maybe the Jews are a little bit closer, but at some point, maybe the Jews are get, get a little more harsh treatment because, man, the oracles were delivered to your fathers and you still deny it. But, by the way, most of the Jewish people are not, you know, Orthodox Jews by any standard. They're secular Jews. And what I mean by that is they're just living a secular life. It's like me being Italian. Doesn't make me, you know, I could be Italian. Doesn't mean I, I'm, I'm Catholic. Doesn't mean I'm Roman Catholic. I'm Italian. I can, I'm a, there's a lot of secular Italians. Oh, they might go to church on Sunday, but they're secular living. Even the church is getting very secular where they're about to, they're thinking about blessing um, same-sex marriage. So um, that that's what I'm talking about. And so what is the, what is the purpose of prophecy? In God's eye, it's to bring repent. It's not to tell future events. That's not the purpose. That's not the purpose. That's the fruit. That's what he does. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose is godliness. The purpose is to turn a nation back. The purpose is to turn you back. God gave you prophecies. So both when you're on track or off track, you will listen to your prophecy and you'll count the cost and say, boy, I can't deviate from this. Because the price is too good. Like the reward's too good. The, what God wants for me is too good. And I want to live the right life for him. You go, Lou, aren't we then earning it? No, we're cooperating with it. Stop thinking that, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I don't even believe it in my own life. Like, I don't even believe it in my own life. I don't believe that decisions don't matter. I don't know why we think that they, that, that they, that they don't. You go, well, Lou, I got this word. I know people who for like, 20 years had a word it never came to pass until they repented and then it comes back and then some people go well you know you know it was just it's time and i go no no the time was delayed because of disobedience it wasn't just the time the time was actually delayed because of disobedience it was when they got obedient that it came to pass godliness godly living that's god's motivation for prophecy you want to back that down a little deeper? It's love. He corrects the ones he loves. We'll see what he does with Jerusalem. We'll see what he does with Israel. Yes, I believe Israel can fight a war. I believe all that. Yes, I believe it was evil what it was done. But you remember what happened in 9-11 for just a brief period? For just a brief period where the churches were full? And the people were praying. People were scared. Does that mean that God ordered the attack? No, he just didn't stop one. I always tell people, all God's got to do, with enough evil people to word, all he's got to do is lift his hand and evil comes. That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean to design. God does not design evil. God does not. But there is a scripture that says that God both, you know, is the author of, the calm, the peace, and the destruction. So that's a really troubling scripture in there. <laughs> People don't like hearing that scripture. Like God is God. He, the problem is, is we've created a God in our own image and in our own likeness. We have created a God that we tell him what he can and cannot do. We declare to him what he can and cannot do. We tell him that, you know what, God doesn't do this, and he never said he doesn't do that. Listen to this. Listen to this. I'm just going to give you the verse. It's Isaiah 45. 
Verse 6, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, I believe part of that is, is that when he created light, the result of that is darkness. When he created peace, there was a flip coin of, 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 um, now I'm not saying what I want, I, I want to really say this in case you've already departed. What I am not saying is that, that, um, that, uh, that God's telling me, this is me, this is me. It's not what I'm saying. I want, I want you to hear me, um, 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 because I think that sometimes people um, hear what they want to hear. But listen to this scripture, Romans eleven twenty two. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. That's New Testament. I want to tell you this once saved, always saved is not scriptural. This one place that you can't lose your salvation is not scriptural. Right there, Paul is telling us, if you do not continue in his goodness, you could be cut off. Now, what constitutes not continuing in his goodness is most likely denying him. Okay, because that's what they did. They didn't receive him, therefore they were cut off. So I, 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 this idea that it can't happen is unscriptural. I got too many scriptures that refute your theory that you don't have a scripture for. The Bible never says once saved, always saved. You know, it doesn't say you prayed a prayer, which we make people pray that the scriptures don't have because conversion wasn't, conversion always wasn't this, um, hey, you walked up front moment. For me, it wasn't that. Matter of fact, I never walked up front in a church. For me, I heard the message, and for six weeks, I sat there and thought about what did it mean? What does it mean for me? Who is this Jesus? And, and it came to after six weeks, I was like, okay, what do I do? I don't know what to do here. And I went to a church and asked them what to do because I didn't know what else to do. But I believe actually in that six weeks, I was being converted because I kept on, you know, I realized my need for a Savior. I realized my need for um uh, forgiveness. And I realized also that that looks like it's only going to come through Jesus Christ. I just didn't know what to do. And yes, I prayed a prayer, but my heart was long before that converted. You know, it was like already there. That's what made the prayer easy. But I can manipulate you into a prayer. I can say stuff, you, you know, who wants to go to heaven? You don't want to go to hell. Pray this prayer with me because I don't want you to go to hell. You, you know, I had a friend who left church and died in a car accident, but he didn't know the Lord. And I don't want that to happen to you. Now you might go, that's that's good. It's not they they might they might pray a prayer, but will are they converted? Will they actually live out the kingdom? Let's not create deception. Uh, let's not deceive people with our our own deception in that. God wants people sold out to him. That's what he wants for me, that's what he wants for you. Yes, the thief on the cross only said, remember me. The thief didn't have any time to live it out. And that was good enough. But if that thief had 40 more years and he didn't live it out, I don't think he would have saw Jesus in his kingdom. 
Diversion is more than a prayer. It's actually a conversion. That's why I think a lot of people, listen to me, I think a lot of people don't actually experience being born again. They don't, they don't actually experience conversion. And we've reduced everything. Well, you prayed the prayer, just believe it. But I, I, I think that there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. And I think we just watered it down to make it as easy as we'd like it to be. Doesn't mean God has made it that easy. I, you know, We'll see, won't we? I, I think it's really easy to get saved. I just don't think everyone wants to give them their life. And Jesus said, unless you lose your life for my life, you have to repent. Where was the repentance? Some people are coming to Christ with no repentance. None. They just don't want to go to hell. So they'll pray a prayer. That's not healthy. It's not good. Amen. All right. Well, I love you. I hope you're having a great day. Um, and I hope that uh, the Lord does bless you. And look, if you do not know Jesus, DM me or message me, put something in the contact, like, subscribe, do all those things. Would you do that for me? It helps the algorithms on the channels. But if you have any questions, DM me, find me. I'm on Instagram, uh, two different places. One's Louis D. Sienna Ministries, all one word, and one's Louis D. Sienna, Louis C. D. Sienna. That's my personal one. Um, but you can DM me or whatever and say, Hey, I want to know about Jesus and we'll have a conversation because it's, it's, it's more than just praying a prayer. It's giving your life to the King of glory. Amen. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.